your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right is McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open is Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a touchdown. Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, it's disappointing that the Dodgers are no longer on pace to score 99 runs today in this game. Cooled off, Ben, in that second inning. Only managed one. What What happened? What's wrong, Dodgers? Yeah, you kind of w- wish, th- if you're a Dodger fan, that this game could maybe count for more than just one. But yeah. not looking two like wins. that's going to be the case. This even a series up, but we pound you in one game. Is that even it up at two apiece? Doesn't work that way. But, man, what a first inning for L.A. 11-run first inning in a, in a must-win game for them. I mean – not technically, it's not do or die. It's not an elimination game, but you're down 2-0. I, I, you get down 3-0, I, you just really don't have any chance. And so they're well on their way to get cutting the lead in that series in half. And as Tim mentioned, the Tampa Bay Rays could punch their ticket to the World Series tonight if they can beat the Houston Astros, and that would be a sweep. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more baseball in hour number two. Our Major League Baseball insider Lane Grindle will join us in the second hour of the program to give us his thoughts about these playoffs, and they're trucking right along. I mean, tomorrow's tomorrow's the fifteenth of the month, and we might have half the World Series set. I mean, it's it's crazy how quickly they've gotten through these playoffs, even with the sixteen team format. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a good day today. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us here tonight. Here's what we have on the program: uh, a Husker huddle coming your way tonight. Jeremiah Searle is going to sit down with. One of the unknown kickers in Husker history, Pat Smith, who was the guy between some great kickers for the Huskers. I mean, Nebraska went Alex Henry, Brett Maher, and then uh, Drew Brown. And there was a guy kind of in the middle of that. Well, it's Pat Smith who helped win a game against Penn State in overtime. So we're going to hear from Pat Smith a little bit later on the hour with Jeremiah Searles. Hour number two will complete... Yep, complete our trip around the Big Ten. Check out the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the team that Nebraska will play last in the eight-game regular season schedule at Memorial Stadium in December. We'll see what's been up with the Gophers, a team coming off a magical season, 11 wins a year ago. We'll talk to Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press coming up in our number two. Third hour of the show, Buy Sell is back. We'll see how we all fared with their questions from last week and fire off some new ones this week, all a good time will be had by all with buy sell. Is that a promise? Is that a guarantee? <laughs> I, we'll see. We'll see. Tim's how well with we us do. tonight, so I don't. I don't really know what to expect. <laughs> well, Tim did have in the headlines that PBA has canceled the watch party next week for the Husker football game. After just a day of having this out there, they announced early in the week that they were going to open up the doors. Concession stands would be available. Free admission, come in, hang out with Husker fans, watch on their big screens as Nebraska battles Ohio State. Thought it seemed a little strange. Not that I disagree with them doing that, but when you can't put people in the stadium, and I know it's separate issues, the Big Ten is keeping the gates of Memorial Stadium closed. Um, And if the city of Lincoln had their way, they wouldn't. They would have allowed fans, I don't know how many, but they would have allowed some fans inside Memorial Stadium to watch the Oscars play live football games. 
But PBA got a lot of pushback, Ben, and so they have now canceled that event. I think they heard from a lot of people going, wait a minute, you're going to open the doors inside and do this. Um, it didn't take them long to, to, to flip the switch to the off position on this deal. No, and I can't say I'm surprised. I was, I was more surprised that they went ahead and announced it, you know, with, with everything that was – happening around uh you know our community and and really our country you know we're seeing that in um you know other parts of the country the southeast with um you know covid numbers popping up and uh, starting to affect college football i was a little surprised that this was a venture that was announced um given everything that that's been going on but no i can't say i'm overly surprised that it was shut down um the the timing of it all just seems weird right you release it yesterday and then and then bang it today i i want to know what what new information was presented you know that 24-hour window that that maybe they didn't know or they weren't you know comfortable with um you know in, in going through with this event i get this is frustrating i understand how bad our fans want to be a part of husker football they want to be a part of the atmosphere they want to be freed from whatever um cage they've been locked in with the times right now but i'm encouraging people to to just take a step back and look at what's going on around other conferences right now with this virus i mean florida alabama we've already seen multiple sec teams get infected we've seen multiple big 12 teams get affected by it and these are conferences with just as many if not more resources than the big 10 this isn't just a you know a sunbelt league that they just can't afford the testing or they don't have the means to to get the appropriate response to something like this if we're not careful and and this i look i get most of this that i'm saying you know applies mostly to the team but if 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 people aren't careful around here this thing's going to go away as fast as you can blink, and then we're not going to have it at all. So we've just got to be careful about what we're doing, who we're around, and um, because what, no matter how you feel about the virus, the people making those decisions understand what this is, and they're not taking it seriously. So no matter if you're um, you know, strict, if you're loose, however you feel about it, we're not the ones making those decisions. The people that are making the decisions have made it very clear how, how seriously they're taking this virus. And they're going to take it away from us if, if this stuff starts to spread and, you know, the cases start to pop up. So, you know, just be careful and, you know, like be willing to make some sacrifices to have Husker football on your TVs on Saturdays. If that means you can't go watch the Huskers play at PBA, I think we can all wear that. Hang out in your basement, um, you know, do do what you need to do with family or whatever. But the idea of congregating in large numbers doesn't seem conducive to me, especially if we're, what, Greg, a Barry Bonds home run away from Memorial Stadium. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see what the tailgating scene looks like around Memorial Stadium on Halloween when the Huskers have their first home game with Wisconsin. I, I don't know really what to expect. I think there will be some. Um, I saw a thing from Haymarket Park the other day. They're opening their parking lots. They're going to let people come and tailgate in the Haymarket Park parking lots on home game days. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Tim had this in the ticker as well. Nick Saban has tested positive. The Alabama head coach, 
Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss head coach, those two played each other this year. Lane Kiffin said today they've got an outbreak now on their team. He's not sure if they'll be able to play Saturday in their next game. He said right now, yes, we can, but if we get some more positives between now and game time, we're not going to be able to play. LSU, Florida, bang their game today. Big outbreak with the Gator program. Uh, after that, they, they traveled to Texas A&M. So this is such a fluid situation. The NFL has been bit by this in the last week to 10 days as well. So it's going to be – it's just really going to be interesting to see how this all goes uh, moving forward. We, we, get, we hear about cancellations every which way to Sunday. The bad news for Big Ten fans is because the way the Big Ten did it, there's no room for error. They can't – if you lose a Saturday, you lose it. Where some of these other leagues, Florida, LSU, have been able to reschedule in December. They're still going to play that game, or that's the plan to it. The Titans have gotten back on track after missing a week, and they've jimmied the schedule around with off weeks and that type of thing to get that to work. But the Big Ten can't do that because there's no bye weeks in there because of this late start by the league. So the margin of error is gone for Big Ten schools, and that that's the Huskers have got to try to play this really close to the vest if they want to get these games in, and we all want to see them get these games in. I want to ask you, we're, we're going to preview Minnesota coming up at the top of the hour. The, the Big Ten doesn't put out a poll per se, uh, and I know we've talked about this in the past. How clear-cut in your eyes, and, and we did Wisconsin on our Around the Big Ten on Monday, how clear-cut is it to you, Ben, that the Badgers are the favorites in the West? Is it clearly, is it, yeah, but I can make a case for this team to maybe catch them or that team? How big of an advantage do you think Wisconsin has going into this thing? I think my answer to this question has has changed in the last month on a couple of, of factors. Number one, the new schedule that was released, I think that definitely plays plays a factor in this uh, with, with who you drew in your crossovers. And the other thing that's affecting this for me is just what we've seen in the landscape of college football. I don't know that anybody can say, Greg, that any team is a clear favorite uh, in anything. Not And, and that, that's not to say that I think there aren't, you know, teams in the country that are, are very good and, 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 you know, our national championship front runners, right? Clemson, Alabama, right? We kind of think that those, those two teams are the best in the country, but look what's happening with Alabama today. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen with Nick Saban, if he's going to be allowed to coach. Um, we don't know any of that yet. If Alabama's without Nick Saban, are they the favorite to win the sec West? I don't know. Um, so I like on top of the unknowns with the virus that are going to affect teams in the Big Ten, if you're just assuming that everything's going to be kosher and you know it's not going to affect, let's just say, Wisconsin in this example, and you're just saying, okay, well, we'll assume they're full strength the whole year, I think they probably are the favorite. But I'm also not confident in assuming the favorites are going to win games based on what I've seen this year either. I mean, even when teams have been healthy, we've seen some crazy results around college football this year and the Big Ten will not be immune to that you're going to see some crazy games in the league this year whether Nebraska or Wisconsin are involved or not just the the nature of how the season has unfolded this year there are going to be crazy wacky things that happen there are going to be teams that aren't as prepared as we thought they were and vice versa there's going to be teams more prepared than maybe we thought they were and I don't know that we're going to know who those teams are you know maybe in a month into the season but I don't think 
anything about this year has been normal. And so therefore, I don't think it's conducive to just assume one team or one player or whatever is going to be enough to to win a league, to win a division or, you know, compete for a national championship. I'm expecting there to be moving targets every single week in this conference. And I don't know. I don't know that there is very much in my eyes that's separating Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. I, I don't know. I just I'll just have to see it play out. Somebody asked me the other day. They said, "Well, how how much does the Jack Cohn, the starting quarterback at Wisconsin's season-ending injury, affect them?" I go, "It's huge." They go, "Really? You think he's that good?" I go, "I'm not saying he's that good, but what if the backup gets COVID in week two or week three and he's out? And all of a sudden, now you're playing a third stringer at quarterback. Heck yeah, Wisconsin looks different yeah. than." than they did when Cone was healthy and Mertz was the backup and going on down there. And you could do that really across the board at any school. If guys miss games because of COVID and it's multiple guys that are out, it can't be too many or you wouldn't be allowed to play, right? I mean, the thresholds are pretty low, but you may not get to play a game because you go over that, and so you miss an opportunity to have that game played at all. So, yeah, absolutely, it changes a lot of it. And with Alabama, what a huge week. I mean, they got Georgia, mm. Alabama, Georgia. This is the prime time game, and there's no way Saban's there. He tested positive today. There's no way he's going to be on the sidelines for that game. And I, I understand college football teams can go on without their head coach being there. I mean, they, the assistant coaches run the teams and all that. Somebody can take that role. There's, there's some former head coaches on that staff that will do just fine kind of managing that thing. Steve Sarkeesian's EOC and on down the line. But Saban's presence means a little something to that football team, and he's probably going to miss a couple of weeks for the Crimson Tide. So you're right. It's, it's really wide open. And, and your other point's also very valid, too, that we need to enjoy each and every week that we get to see this team play. And, and so if the Huskers march out there against the Buckeyes, it'll be a daunting task. We all get that. Um, but at least we get a chance to see – the Huskers play in that on that day when you know they're there and ready to compete and you need to cherish each and every week that they get a chance to do just that. All right, need to step aside and get a break in, but we want to tell you that we want you to invite you to go visit your local Nebraska FNBO branch on Saturday during normal business hours to pick up a free Husker-themed yard sign to display in front in your front yard. For more information, go visit fnbo.com slash Huskers. That's this Saturday, normal business hours on Saturdays. That's usually, what, 8 to noon, 9 to noon, something like that. So sometime in the morning you're going to want to go by and pick up one of these yard signs and plop it in there for the next couple of weeks. Uh, to show your support for Husker football. All right, when we come back, Jeremiah Searles will have this week's edition of the Husker Huddle. That's straight ahead. Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here on the Husker Sports Network. I'm your host, Jeremiah Searles. Today we are joined by one of a good friend of mine, actually a locker mate of mine my senior year who joined the football team. He was a transfer in, ended up making some huge kicks for us our senior year in 2013. We're joined by Pat Smith. Pat, how are you, buddy? Jay, I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me on. And, you know, it's funny you start talking about being my locker mate. I consider myself lucky. You know, took me under the wing a little bit, got me introduced to all the boys. Um, and so I'm forever grateful for that for you. Uh, you know, I, I lucked out, you know, getting to sit next to you. Oh, I appreciate that. I remember when I came into locker room and I was like, Pat Smith, I don't even know who that is. I was like, I've been here. I've been here for four years, going into my fifth year. I was like, I've never heard of a Pat Smith. And then walks in. I was like, oh, awesome, dude. New kicker. And we needed a kicker at that point, big time. And, uh, I mean, you came in and you made some huge kicks, man. I mean, people, I look back at that year 
And that year was just, it was pretty crazy. I mean, we had injuries all over the board. We had games we should have won that we didn't. But, like, one of the games, I'm sure one of the ones that sticks out to you, was actually just on TV the other night, was that Penn State game um, where you, you knocked the, the game winner through after a false start and backed us up five more <laughs> yards. And I mean, as you reflect back on that season, Pat, what were some of the things that really made this place special for you? And really, let's reflect all the way back before you even got here. Why did you want to come to Nebraska? Well, it's crazy or funny that you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of the challenges of that season and then tied it into the Penn State game. Um, you know, I'm sure you remember probably more than anybody, but the offensive line in that Penn State game was so beat up. I think we had three or four guys out or mm -hmm. like barely playing, um, you know, guys injured. And I think, uh, you know, we had guys that were on that field goal protection unit that hadn't ever traveled before. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, just Brandon Chapek was a guy I remember yep. after that game, just how elated we all were and just getting to celebrate with him. And, and uh, you know, his, his parents made a, had, a, had a picture made of it and everything. Um, but you know, really just the team overcoming so much that year was, was so cool. Uh, but as I look back at just my own personal journey and, and going to Nebraska and, and what was interesting about it and, you know, what was really memorable for me, um, obviously just the opportunity to go there, especially as a fifth-year senior. You know, I won five games the last two years uh, before, I, before I went there. So, you know, we won nine games, and that was pretty special for me, maybe not for everybody else. But uh, University of Nebraska has so much, uh, you know, really prestige. And when you walk on campus, uh, you can feel the energy uh, behind the program. Um, and it was a really big wow moment for me, uh, you know, being a kid from Illinois, not knowing much about uh, the Huskers outside of, uh, you know, when I was growing up and being really good. Um, and so for, for me, though, the most memorable part of all of it uh, is back to the locker room. Um, it was back to all the guys that I was fortunate enough to be able to meet, uh, lifelong friendships that I've been able to make, and uh, one of them right here. So. That's awesome, man. I mean, one thing that we do here on Husker Huddle every week is we talk a little bit about not just what the football life brought, but what after football. I mean, football ends at one point in time for every single one of us. It's one of the reasons I'm sitting here in the booth and not getting ready to play a game on Sunday. And I mean, it ended for you as you continued through. Like, what have you been doing since you left Nebraska in your professional life and personal life now? Yeah, so I think all, you know, anybody who's ever played, they kind of go through those next couple of years of figuring out, okay, you know, what does life after football look like? Um, you know, you're so singularly focused for so long, you all of a sudden go, okay, now what's next? You know, what's that next chapter like? And I know we've talked about that before. And, you know, we know, you know, Spence obviously retiring. He's going through it right now, uh, figuring out what that next step looks like. And so, uh, you know, for me uh, now, I, I never would have thought, but I ended up working in the candy industry several years later. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get my master's degree at Nebraska, uh, which was a cool opportunity, you know, being a graduate transfer and getting to further my education there. Um, but now working the candy industry, national account manager, uh, and, and you know, sell nerds and sweet tarts and trolley gummy worms and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but you continue to find ways to bring about that competitive nature that you miss about football. Um, and so whether it's achieving another sales target or whether it's you know having some successful meeting with the customer, I always laugh and say, you know, our big uh, you know customer meetings are like my game day now. Mm. Um, it, that is what has kind of had to step and take take place. And it probably took a while to find that. You know, it's hard to match the excitement of 95,000 people all going crazy in the stands uh, anytime that you, you know, you're successful. Uh, but you find ways to, you know, have fun and stay motivated and be competitive and do those kind of things, whether it's, you know, in work, uh, you know, in big meetings or or even, you know, yesterday, uh, 
Sam Cotton and myself and some guys are, are here in California because uh, doing all the work from home stuff right now. So we figured, why not come out here? We got a little pickup basketball going yesterday. And, uh, you know, I'll say the, the Huskers aren't adding these two uh, former football players <laughs> to the basketball unit anytime soon. Uh, we were throwing up quite a few bricks yesterday. Uh, but, you know, we we're banging to the post a little bit, having a good time. Absolutely. I think that competitiveness is something that I know for me, it's one of the things that's hardest to turn off. Um, and I think that people understand, like, it's good to be competitive, but there can be that don't be the butthead competitive either. Like, it's good to compete in things, but it's okay to, like, turn that switch off sometimes. And I think some guys get lost in that fact of once you leave that realm, the ability to turn that competitive off and just enjoy something um it's still something i work on to this day i mean i can tell you that there's been plenty of nights that my wife and i have gone to each other not talking to because of Catan, the board game um and so it's just <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things that's hard to turn off so it's good to hear you're finding that that balance and and you're continuing to work through that Finding that balance is tough man we were playing volleyball out on the beach just the other day and uh you know we lost you know the first couple of games and uh all of a sudden, I started getting a little more serious than I probably should have, throwing some jabs here and there, uh, you know, start jump serving and really trying to bring the heat. And, uh, you know, we still got the win when it was all said and done. So part of that competitiveness is, is always going to be there. Absolutely. Well, well, Pat, you have a unique perspective on the Husker program because you did come in, you played for a year, and then you were able to actually flip gears and go into the coaching side a little bit. And you were here with some really, I mean, under the Pliny era, you got to deal with some really good kickers that were here and, and Sam Fultz and you got Drew. And I mean, for me, I want to ask, I haven't got a chance to have a coach on the segment yet, but during these times, I think a lot of people focus on, okay, the players are going through a really rough spot trying to figure out COVID and all that, but flip it on the other side as a coach, I mean, what would you have the coach have to kind of do and think about to adapt to these type of times? And how, how hard is it for this coaching staff to really try and adapt to all, all this is going on? Yeah, I really think about, you know, a coaching staff, they're so process oriented. And so they get in their routine. And I think so many football players and coaches specifically are a little bit superstitious. And so they've got their week to week routine. Okay, they're doing exactly this at exactly this time and they have to have game plan ready on this time. And now you introduce all this uncertainty, all these new protocols, um, and it really forces everybody to get used to a new normal, um, which has got to be really tough on a, on a staff. And, um, you know, coaching was never going to be my, my long-term my long -term deal. Uh, but while I was still in graduate school, you know, I had a great opportunity to, you know, stay on scholarship and, and help out some of the special teams and the kickers. And, and I always kind of laugh and say, you know, my main job uh, was to be a, be a wall between Bo and, and Drew Brown, <laughs> who at the time was a freshman kicker. Um, and so he's 18 years old and he's already got plenty of pressure on him. Um, you know, he didn't need the heat getting put on him from, from anybody on the coaching staff. So uh, I, I was the buffer zone there taking any heat anytime a, a kick got missed. But uh, fortunately for the, you know, the one year I was there coaching and helping out the special teams, uh, you know, you had guys like Sam Fultz and Drew Brown um, who really led by example in that group. And so for me, it was, hey, let's get in the film room. You know, if I can be in here for you and, and I can help you out in any way possible, uh, you know, try to be a mentor in that way. But again, those are two guys that, you know, didn't really need too much guidance and help that year. 
Yeah, I mean, those are two, you named two incredible kickers there. I mean, I was so, so blessed to really have really quality special teams guys around me my entire career. I mean, when I got here, I mean, Alex Henry was banging them out, and then Brett Maher, and then we had yourself, and then we had Bondi, who could just kick it through the uprights on the field goal or on the kickoffs every time, and I mean, Fultzy there. And so, I mean, I think that that's a position that I took definitely for granted. Um, while I was here and I think that you can say as much as anything like a kicker is an incredibly important part of this of any football team I mean they usually leave their schools or their teams whatever is leading point scorers and so having a good special teams as we've noticed here in Nebraska the last couple of years is really important I think that coming into Nebraska this year and being I mean, looking at this team for this 2020 season, I think special teams are going to be really an even more pivotal role with having a young defense and having some struggles on offense, scoring the ball, just punting, kicking in general. I mean, if you watch, how much emphasis would you watch this year? I mean, watching those special teams for the Huskers. Yeah, I think it's obviously got to be a huge focus here early on for the coaching staff to figure out who their guys are going to be and then stick with them and let them get some momentum, let them get some rhythm about them. Um, so they can get some experience under their feet um, and gain some confidence. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that uh, it can, It probably was taken a little bit for granted at times how special some of those groups were of specialists over that, you know, call it 10-year run. Um, I was fortunate to have a really small part in that. Um, but between uh, uh, Fultz and, and Brett and, and Alex, I mean, you're talking multiple NFL guys there uh, who played for, for multiple years. Um, you know, obviously, Sam didn't, but... Um, we all know he could have. The though. biggest... It, absolutely, absolutely. I was really pleased to see, um, you know, the Ravens and John Harbaugh give them a shout out on draft day. Um, you know, pulled through Jamie Cole and the group of guys mm -hmm. that we all kicked with. But um, the biggest thing for me in the way I viewed special teams is you don't want to hurt your team and you need to help them maintain momentum and confidence on the sideline. And so if the offense goes 12 plays and I come jogging on the field and, and I'm looking at you and I, I can see you're, you're almost half bent over and you're breathing heavy because you just went through a long drive, um, you got to get points on the board because otherwise the sideline gets a little deflated if we go, you know, a five, ten, five, five eight minute drive and don't get any points. Um, and so the biggest thing I always thought was, hey, unless it's a critical situation kick, this is about keeping guys confident, keeping the offense moving, uh, and keeping them happy. And then obviously on the flip side, when you're punting the ball, uh, you don't want to put your defense in a bad position. And so if you can pin them down deep in the goal and close to the goal line, the defense has a lot of, a lot of swagger when they're coming on the field, uh, knowing that, hey, now we've got them backed up. Um, and so for me, I always thought special teams are so big just to keep the momentum of the game, even more so at times than, you know, the uh, – you know, the actual play itself. That's a, I've never thought of it like that, Pat. I think that's a great way to put it in a great way is like the kicker can really, I mean, like you said, punting or kickoffs even, or, or even just like a big time field goal, really sway momentum from both sidelines. I mean, you go bang a 48 yarder, it can really deflate a defense. It's like, man, I thought we had him stopped or you miss an extra point And like, like you said, like everything else just kind of has this cloud over it. So I think that's a really You, you got to bring up mix extra points, Jay. <laughs> Come on now. You know, that was, that was the one blemish. I missed more extra points than field goals my year in Nebraska and you had to bring it up. I, I wasn't specifically <laughs> referring to you, Pat. I promise I wasn't. I promise You just I saw wasn't. my face and you were thinking about missed extra points. So, no, it, it's all good, man. Uh, you know, getting pulled against Illinois for missing an extra point was never fun, but we figured it out. We, we got hey, back on track. We made it so. work. We made it work, man. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't the worst thing that happened to us this year. That's, that's a definite fact. So, before we let you go here, Patty, I know everyone here in Nebraska is so excited for 
for Husker football to get up and rolling again. I know you follow it from afar. You watch the games. You're not as involved as you used to be. But what are you kind of expecting from this eight-game season? I mean, this eight-game grinder, especially the first four weeks for this Husker program this year. Yeah, it's going to come fast and furious for the Huskers. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what this next year in the Scott Frost program looks like. Now, obviously, at this point, he's got his guys in. They're starting to get more comfortable with the system. Um, they're starting to build some of the depth, especially along the offensive line again, uh, which is great to see. Um, but it's going to be a tough start. Um, I, I've been a part of, of programs before where you lose a couple out of the gate, and these are definitely some big games that, you know, the, the Vegas odds right now are not in their favor uh, for most of the first few games. Um, and so really the game that I've, you know, got kind of circled on the calendar is the Iowa game. Hmm. And so there's a there's a big difference where, you know, if you lose, you know, a few of those early games or if things go the way Vegas says and they're, you know, two and three really headed into that game, uh, there's a huge difference between being a 500 and still fighting and being a two and four and feeling like the whole season's got away from you. So uh, obviously the big games earlier are going to be so much fun to watch. You know, I hope they can uh, really challenge hard in those games and pull some of them out. Um, but for, for me, hey, it really, a you know, 500 or above, I, I think it's a great accomplishment just based off the based off the cards they've been dealt this year. Um, but again, you know, I'll always pull for them and, and I'll always be hoping for more. I'll definitely be hoping that they can, you know, upset Ohio State in week one and then really ride out right out the season. If there's a season for it to happen, it's this year um, just because everybody's thrown off their game a little bit. Everybody's been dealing with this in different ways. And so to start this late in the year, they might be a little surprise to people. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. I'm excited for the season to start. Pat, We really, I thank you so much for joining me here on Husker Huddle here on the Husker Sports Network. We'll make sure to keep up with you. We'll get back in touch with you here as everything goes on and uh, keep slinging that candy. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, hey, best of luck with the show and everything going forward. I know you're going to continue to crush it. So, Absolutely. Sounds good. We'll see you guys here next week on Husker Huddle. There he is, Jeremiah Searles with Pat Smith. Good to hear from Pat again. A winner at that Penn State game. Uh, what a what a fun day that was. You had some snow coming down late in that game. Yep, we're back. Thank you so much for being a part of our Wednesday edition of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Ten days. We're ten days out from the start of the Big Ten football season for the Huskers. Nine days for Wisconsin, Illinois. Come on. Let's go. Let's get here. Tonight, we wrap up uh, our series of reports of around the Big Ten, the only school we have not touched on. We got about half of these done back in July and August, and then the plug got pulled on the season. So we only had to half, about half to do in the last few weeks, and tonight we wrap it up with Minnesota. So we're going to check out the Gophers here in just a couple of minutes. Then we'll hear from our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle. We'll see uh, what he makes of these playoffs as the Braves off to a 2-0 start, although they're getting whipped tonight. Looks like that'll be a 2-1 series after tonight. And Tampa Bay, one win away from the World Series. We'll get Lane's take on all that coming up later on in the hour. We'll have some open phones for you later on this hour as well. But let's finish it off tonight around the Big Ten. Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with DinoCare. Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. Fields, looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone, touchdown, Olave! 27-yard, 20, 10, touchdown! Touchdown, Illinois! He dodges a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to Amir Smith, Marshall. Cone to the 10, Cone to the 5, Cone, touchdown, Wisconsin! Tonight, the snap... 
Play action pass on the slant. Altman Bell on the run. 45 to midfield. Off to the races. To the 30. Crossing to the 20. To the 10. Touchdown. Chris Altman Bell. 70 yards. Minnesota Golden Gophers. The Minnesota Golden Gophers. And here to talk about the Golden Gophers, Andy Greener of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. What a season last year the Gophers had. 11-win year and Bunch of guys back. Andy, there's got to be some excitement for this football team to get back out of the field. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you win 11 games for the first time since the early 1800s and uh, do it in a, <laughs> in a dramatic way of of, uh, of beating Penn State and beating Auburn. Uh, you certainly want to try to build on that momentum. And the fact that there is going to be a season as of right now uh, certainly bodes well for the Gophers. The, the big news in the last two weeks has been the return of Rashad Bateman. Take me through the last two months for that young man. What, what was that road like for him? Yeah, well, he, con- he contracted COVID uh, late summer, and uh, there wasn't going to be a season uh, to be played, so he decided to, to opt out and, and uh, kind of prepare for the NFL, and he's projected to be a first-round draft pick. And then once he was started to train and, and signed with an agent and received some benefits, he felt uh, felt lonely. Felt like he didn't have a lot uh, going for him uh, in the short term. So he, once there was a season, he, he saw that there was an avenue to kind of join in the reinstatement process, and he took advantage of that and, and found a way to work with the NCAA on some of the benefits that he received, and uh, was able to be reinstated a couple of weeks ago. And it's it's a huge boost for the Gophers to get the Big Ten Receiver of the Year back. No doubt, he's going to be quite a weapon, and along with with Ottman Bell and, and obviously Tanner Morgan back. What? Let's go to defense. To me, when I look at the team, my questions would be about that side of the ball. What do you make of, of the defensive side of the ball for the Gophers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've got nine starters back on offense, and defensively they have to replace seven starters, and four of those were NFL draft picks. And those holes are at all three levels and, and none bigger than having to replace Unanimous All-American free safety Antoine Winfield Jr., who was the NFL uh, Rookie of the Month uh, on the defensive side of the ball in September. Um, you know, they've got a four-star uh, recruit in Tyler Newbin, who they're high on, who will fill in there. And they've got three uh, experienced secondary members that they'll rely on as, as Tyler Newbin gets up to speed. But, yeah, there's issues. Three from the defensive line, two spots at linebacker. Uh, so, yeah, if, there's, if this gopher team is – able to do anything resembling what they did last year in a magical run uh, to winning the Outback Bowl and and winning 11 games. They're going to have to plug those holes defensively quickly because the season starts with a ranked matchup against Michigan on uh, Saturday night, uh, the 24th. Let's talk about the third edition of the schedule because you went there with that comment, the opening with Michigan. What about the, the big weeks for the Gophers in your eyes as you look at this new schedule for the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, starting off well is key for them, and it's going to be a big challenge uh, with the Michigan team that's, that's highly thought of. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad. It's, it's rivalry games against Wisconsin. You know, they were able to end a 14-game losing streak two years ago at Camp Randall, and then last year in a de facto Big Ten West Championship game, the Badgers uh, took it to the Gophers and won decisively. Uh, so that's always going to be a big one, and, you know, P.J. Fleck has never beaten Iowa, and the Gophers haven't beaten Iowa in about five years. So that's always going to be looked at uh, as a big one as well. So, uh, you know, those would probably be the top three that I, that I look at as, as games to circle. 
What does Minnesota think of the Friday appearances? I think they have three Friday appearances. Are they good with that? Yeah, you know, they, they were reluctant to, to be a part of that when they played Indiana uh, on a Friday night. I think it was two years ago. They they weren't a big fan of that, just given the appreciation and, and respect for high school football. Uh, you know, they are playing here in Minnesota, so uh, that's going to be in, in conflict with it. Um, there aren't going to be fans in the stands, so the criticism of, well, we, we don't get a day to tailgate, we don't get a day to drive in, uh, is, is kind of nipped because there aren't going to be uh, fans in the stands. So, you know, some of it is going to be difficult if they have to play on a short week, which they will. Uh, other times it'll be a, a normal week. Uh, so that that won't be as big of an issue. You know, it, it's going to be night games. And, you know, as you guys know, we're, it's getting colder out, and, and that's <laughs> going to be a bigger issue maybe more than anything else. All right, they've been at it for a couple weeks now with pads. Have there been any storylines that have come out of the early part of this camp? Well, I mean, we touched on the big one with, with Rashad Bateman coming back. Yeah. You know, just plugging those holes uh, defensively is going to be an issue. You know, special teams-wise, uh, they struggled in the kicking game, both from punting the ball and, and kicking field goals, and that needs to improve because they were able to have the success they had kind of in spite of, of the struggles, both kicking the ball and covering it. So if they have those same kinds of struggles, that can you know, have a potential uh, situation to come back and bite them. So we'll be looking to see if they're going to be better in the kicking game this year. Great. Andy Greeter, St. Paul Pioneer Press. As always, Andy, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. Take care. Andy, join us on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, Ben, what do you make of this gopher bunch? Yeah, I mean, obviously, offensively, it's, it starts with Tanner Morgan and Ibrahim and, um, you know, getting Rashad Bateman back. That's kind of the, the big three-headed monster they got. Um, speaking of monsters, that offensive line I think is really solid, really, really good, and I think they're going to be able to do some things just because that group is so so stout up front. Um, so their offense I think is legit. I'm expecting an increase in, in productivity with Ottman Bell with the departure of Tyler Johnson, but um, I think Minnesota's offense has a chance. I'm a little worried and concerned for their defense. I don't know that um, you know there is there – is, uh, reliable I guess maybe is the right word as, as some of those other guys that they had last year with with Winfield and with Coughlin and you know some of those staples that they've had in their lineup um, I know they were really really young two years ago so some of those players are growing up but you know they, they they lose a you know a couple of really key cogs to that defense that they're gonna have to replace as you heard Andy said I think a lot of people in the league and, and I I would be in this category I think too that go okay you went 11 and 2 how real was that, or just did everything kind of break your way? Because you go back and look at their non-conference games a year ago. They were behind in every game in the, inside the last two or three minutes of the game and yet found a way to win, and that's, that's a great quality to have, and we've talked about how five or six plays make the difference. But had they not been able to win one of those or two of those games, and Fresno was one of them, I think South Dakota State was one of them, and I'm drawing a blank on the third one, but – that, that certainly elevated their confidence level and they started to believe. And a belief is a huge thing in a football locker room and confidence, and that spurred them on to a really good year. But can they duplicate that? I, can they back that up, I guess, is what I, I and I think a lot of people, Ben, wonder. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a huge it's a huge question. Um, you know, the way that they played in the in the bowl game, and uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to Minnesota that make them interesting, that make them notable. Uh, had their head coach being one of them, just the way that he is, his personality, how flamboyant he is, but how eerily quiet he was in the off season. I think there's some some intrigue to what the Gophers have been getting accomplished the last few months. Um, you know, there was that story that, that came out about an offensive lineman, about with some mistreatment that was going on in the Minnesota program. I don't know how much that's been a distraction to what's going on um, with just some of the things that were said about P.J. Fleck and the way that he runs his program. But they're they're definitely an interesting bunch. I mean, and, and look no further than their last two games with the Badgers of Wisconsin, or even their last two games with us. You know, you just you're just not quite sure what you're going to get with them. Um, but PJ Fleck has has done a good job, and you know what he's been able to do is make Minnesota at least worth having the conversation when we're talking about who's going to win the West and what type of season they're going to have. I think that says a lot about what he's been able to do in a short time in Minneapolis. Yeah, I've always said people say, well, he's goofy and silly. Yeah, but if he gets the players inside that locker room to believe in him, that's all that matters, and he has done that, and that's the tip of the cap to him. Huge, huge opener for them next Saturday night, hosting the Wolverines. It's a big game for both teams. I mean, Michigan can't lose that game and still have a shot of winning the East, and for the Gophers, a chance to kind of show last year maybe wasn't so fluky. I can't wait. That'll be – our game will be over. I'll be back in time. I can't wait. That'll be fun. No doubt. I mean, there's a lot of intrigue around Big Ten football this year just because, like I said earlier in the show, what's been happening around the country. So I, uh, I, am, I am very interested in both Minnesota and Michigan and how that game unfolds and, and how they stack up against each other. I think the last time I was this excited to see a team in the West play Michigan – it was when the Badgers went up to the big house and just embarrassed the Wolverines uh, in the first half of that game. And there was uh, some soul-searching happening in Ann Arbor after that, after that game. So we'll, we'll find out how round two goes, this time with a new opponent. Husker fans, visit your local Nebraska FNBO branch this Saturday during normal business hours to pick up a free Husker-themed yard sign to display in your front yard. For more information, visit fnbo.com slash Huskers. Well, on Wednesday nights, we like to check out what's going on in the big leagues as they're now into the LCSs, both the NL and the AL. None better to do that than our insider. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, you're probably ready for the uh, the next game. What what an amazing first inning of the Dodgers. Holy cow, you don't expect to see that in playoff baseball. That was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, that's pretty wild. I, um, you know, it's weird that that's happened twice in the last two years now to the Braves. Remember that happened to them against the Cardinals in game five of the NLDS last year. And the Cardinals came out and put up the big number right out of the gate and, and of course, went on to the to the LCS before losing to the Nationals. And, and now this has happened again to the Braves. A little different circumstances. They're up to nothing in this series. But it looks like the Dodgers' bats – 
have uh, woke up. It looks like they did that late in the game last night, and it's carried over to today. Don't tell Darren Erstad I said that. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it does look like that's happened here. And um, is that going to be the trend for the rest of this series? It, it looks like this series just got real, right? It looks like it's kind of game on now. I think this is going to be a phenomenal series. These are two really good teams with a lot of good young stars. Um, these are the best two teams in the in the National League, in my opinion, and, and I think we're getting what we what we hoped for in this one so far. Yeah, sometimes you know you, you get somebody like the Astros who make a run, and sometimes the the cream does rise to the top. I, I'm with you. I think these are the two best teams in the NL. Atlanta's fun to watch for me. I, I mean, the Dodgers have been on our TV screens for the last four or five years with this core group, and I know Mookie Betts is new, but to me, this Atlanta team is fun to watch, and, and they're going to be around a while, aren't they? I'm a really big fan of, of Acuna. Uh, the first time I got a chance to see him play, um, it just the athleticism, the talent, the excitement, the energy he plays with, all those things, they just ooze. And um, he's a special, special talent. And what's crazy is that we probably don't talk about him enough, Greg. And the reason why we don't talk about him enough is because he's one of so many mm-hmm. great young superstars in the game right now. You, know, you can go Juan Soto. Obviously, you know, Mike Trout's still pretty young. Um, but when we're talking about the good young superstars, we're talking about Juan Soto and Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts and Tatis. Uh, I mean, you can just keep going down the list. It's unbelievable. And so Acuna in normal times would be like this guy that we're saying he's the next generational talent in baseball. But we're talking, yeah, you said Tatis. I mean, Tatis is the other one. There's so many of these guys right now. The game's never been healthier, in my opinion, in terms of young superstars. It has so many of them. And and I really like Ozzie Albee's game a lot. The arms that Atlanta, Kyle Wright obviously had a tough one tonight, but I, they have unbelievably great young arms. Uh, they're an exciting, fun team. And then they've got the veteran guys like Marcakis and Freeman in there, too. Uh, they've, they've got what it takes to win this whole thing. I think all four of these teams that are left – certainly have what it's take what it takes but you know the astros would be fourth in that group right now because they're it's it's amazing they've gotten to this point with everything they've endured they don't have the arms they've had in the past and they're not clicking at the same level i mean altuve is not right um if if all things were the same as the years past then the astros would be there too but i think the rays are obviously going to going to win that series and get to the world series they're phenomenal, and then whoever comes out of the NL. I mean, it'll be a great World Series regardless of who wins the NLCS. They're allowing fans in the NLCS at Globe Live Ballpark there in Arlington. The players sure noticed it. They said, wow, what a difference it makes. We know it's only ten or 12,000, but it makes a big difference. As an observer, has it, has it been noticeable to you? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, in, in this game tonight alone – the Braves have hit like three balls down the line and you're looking at the fans to see if it was fair or foul. I mean, that's just a difference from what we had throughout the regular season, but no, it feels a little more normal when, when you, when you see the fans in the stands and uh, obviously you hope that everybody's doing this the right way and they're being safe and, and considerate of the other people in the stands and masking up when they need to. But um, I do think it's nice. And I think every time we, kind of dip our toe in the water a little bit with with these types of things it it, it gives us hope that we're getting closer to having um, some of these things back to a little bit more normal or we're figuring out a better way to do it 
um, in the times. I don't know if things are getting that much better on the on the virus front or not. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I think we're learning how to adapt a little bit ourselves in terms of how we put on a sports uh, event and, and how we run it. And uh, hopefully we're, we're getting better at that as we go forward each day right now. We're talking Major League Baseball with our insider, Lane Grindle, brought to you by Nebraska Realty here on Sports Island. Let's go to the American League. I looked this up today. The Tampa Bay Rays had the 27th biggest payroll in Major League Baseball, so darn near the bottom. And here they are, one win away from the World Series. They seem to do this year after year after year with a lot of names that most fans, even pretty decent baseball fans, can't tell you their lineup. How are they doing this? I think what's really impressive about it, Greg, is that they've done it with different guys, too. And I'm not just talking about the guys on the field. I'm talking about whether it be manager, whether it be front office execs. You know, Andrew Free, everybody's been stealing guys from the Rays for years because the Rays have done it with basically not spending money. And now Andrew Friedman is in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Matt Arnold, who is a big relevance, he's an assistant GM with the Brewers now, and a great guy, I might add, himself in the next handful of years. And Joe Madden, obviously, was the first manager to kind of get it going. But look what Kevin Cash has been able to do. I mean, it's not just that they can replace the guys on the roster with guys that aren't going to command the same salary, yet they can be just as productive. And they've been doing that year in and year out for the better part of a decade or more. It's that they also do it with the front office, and they also do it with their on-field staff. It's really amazing. And, you know, is there some luck involved? There has to be a shred of luck. But you don't accidentally do this for this long unless you understand how to hire the right people and how to execute um, a, a strategy and a plan of how you're going to be better than everybody else without doing things the same way as everybody else. And and I, I think to some degree the Brewers have been a team that have done similar things since David Stearns got here. They haven't been doing it for as long as the Rays have, but and they've spent maybe a little bit more money than the Rays have spent too. Um, the Brewers aren't afraid to go out there and give a guy a contract. The Rays don't spend money, period. They go and they make a bunch of deals and they accumulate a bunch of guys that are controllable and they develop really well with their minor leagues. And this is what you get. And it's really incredible to see. And I think, you know, we talk about salary caps in the other sports and equity and uh, everything else in these other sports and parity. And, and baseball doesn't really have that. Now, they have the luxury tax. But what they do have are guys that figure out ways to cut corners and to be competitive and to field a team that can beat your payroll that's $100 million more. Um, by being smarter. And I think that's kind of one of the cool things about our game, to be honest with you. You know, and, and they play in a, a bad ballpark. I mean, Miller Park's beautiful. The Brewers draw a ton of fans. They don't in Tampa. I mean, they, they just there's so much going against them. Bad ballpark, not a huge fan base, and yet they just keep cranking out winners. It's incredible. The, the, the Astros are down three games in this thing. The, the thing that's gotten a lot of attention today is Jose Altuve, Looks like he's kind of developing the yips. And, and man, I feel bad for anybody that, that gets into this. He ha, He's such a great player. He's fun to watch. Um, he, I'd love to have it. If I started a team, I'd love a guy like that on my team. I It breaks my heart, Lane, to see him going through this right now. I think he's a really good player. Yeah, I think he's tremendous. And it's a great story how he came to be what he is. I mean, he was a nobody. He wasn't – I mean, he didn't fit the mold – 
physically right and yeah. nobody knew who this guy was. He just kind of emerged and turned into this superstar. It's really it's really pretty phenomenal the way he came about um, to being the player he is for the Houston Astros. But yeah, I mean the, the ninth the ninth inning last night I and mean, the last out he just keep an underhand toss because he doesn't yeah. want to throw to first. It, it always amazes me when this happens with guys. I mean, John Lester had this for a long time where he wouldn't throw over to first, and you'd see Ryan Braun take leads to second base against the Cubs when Lester was on the mound, where he's he's halfway to second base because he knows Lester's not going to throw over there. He won't do it. The best he might do is step off and run at him, but then he can beat him to one of the two bags. I mean, uh, this is a guy that gets paid millions of dollars to throw the ball, and <laughs> he can't throw the ball to first. It. I mean, he's better now, but that that was the case for a while with John Lester. This is what, it's why the Royals were able to run on him in the wild card game in 2014. Right. Um, guys do this. I mean, we always think about Chuck Knobloch, right, and and the, the problems he had throwing the ball the first. Uh, I, I It's hard to explain. Um, I, I think guys tend to get it more at second base, too. That's, I mean, that's not scientific. I haven't gone through and researched it, but it feels like more guys get it at second base. Because it is typically a little different throw. It's not throwing as hard as you can all the time, right? It's just kind of a – sometimes it's a casual toss to first because you're so close to the first baseman and the play's not even that close. And it's kind of like a receiver that's too open in football, I wonder, you know, where they, they drop a pass because there's too open and they're thinking about it too much. I sometimes wonder if that's why second basemen tend to get the yips more than guys at other positions. You're right, Steve Sachs, another second baseman, had it. Rick Ankiel, yeah. a pitcher for the Cardinals, had problems with that. Uh, baseball's been hit hard, Lane, losing some of their greats. Joe Morgan earlier this week passed away. A couple of weeks ago, Bob Gibson did. If memory serves, your broadcast partner, Bob Euchre, was a teammate of Bob Gibson. Have you heard any Gibson stories through Euchre? Well, all, you know, those two guys, and we lost Lou Brock, too. Uh, maybe a little over a month ago, which was another tough one. And all three of those guys, Uke was very close with. Um, you know, um, Lou Brock was his teammate in St. Louis, as was Gibby. And then he and Joe Morgan worked national baseball telecasts right. together, NBC uh, baseball games nationally. They worked together for, for quite a few years. So Uke um, has stories with all those guys. Um, he had just talked to Bob Gibson um, right at the beginning of the season, and and he 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 was encouraged. He thought Bob sounded pretty good, and of course Bob had been, I believe, at UNMC and 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 was fighting hard, but um, w- was maybe doing a little bit better at that point in time. And um, you know, Bob Euchre has unbelievable respect for Bob Gibson, probably the best competitor he ever played with, according to him. And he always tells the stories of like McCarver coming out from behind the plate and getting halfway to the mound, and Bob Gibson saying, "What are you doing out here? Go back! <laughs> I don't need to talk to you. Got this under control." Um, I mean, he he was he was. I you know when I think back of guys that I didn't get the pleasure of watching play the game, Bob Gibson's like top three for me of somebody that I would pick that I would want to go back and watch him compete and watch him pitch and and do the things that he did. And, and, and to go back one further, Lou Brock's another one. I mean, Bob always tells the story that when he got traded to St. Louis from the Braves, um, there, 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 was, right, there, there was this conversation of Lou Brock 
couldn't run. You know, they traded for Ernie Brolio for, for Lou Brock from the Cubs, and he couldn't run. He couldn't run to second base. He was falling down halfway to second base every time he took off. And they asked Bob Uecker to, um, you know, take a look at it and see what they could do. And so Bob watched him run to second base a couple of times, and each time he kept tripping halfway to second base. So Bob Uecker called him over and said, here, I want, to, I want you to try this this time. Tie your shoes. And then the problem was fixed, and Lou Brock went on to be the base runner. That's that's Uke's story. That's his joke, but he tells that story all the time. I mean, um, that's what's cool about what I get to do is I get to work next to a living legend that has real stories about all of these guys and the things that they've uh, experienced. You know, whether it be on the road or on the field together, it's almost like. <laughs> hearing real time stories about Paul Bunyan to me, right? I mean, they're just, it's like tall tale stuff. So it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, we've lost some really good ones. Tom Seaver's another one mm-hmm. that we lost, the franchise, um, you know, over the course of this season. I mean, those are some big names in baseball, and we're going to miss them all. You're like in a history class every day you're around Euchre, picking up something from baseball's past. Oh. It's a pretty unique thing. I'll tell you one more real quick one. Last year we're in Cincinnati at the end of the season and, and the game ends and Bob's phone rings and it's Joe Torrey, which is not uncommon because they played together with the Milwaukee Braves. And so when Joe's in town, he'll come up to the booth and everything else. So that wasn't like shocking. But then he says, you, I have somebody that wants to talk to you. And you hear him hand the phone to somebody and, and, and this gentleman gets on the phone and, and Bob's got him on speakerphone. So I'm sitting there in the booth and I can hear him talking and he says, Uke, it's Willie. And my, my other broadcast partner, Jeff Levering, and I look at each other and we go, oh, it's Willie Mays. <laughs> I mean, we're freaking out, you know. I mean, we're like two little kids just going crazy. And we get to kind of brush up against that stuff once in a while. It's really amazing. Well, your, your background with Matt Davison would have prepared you well for, for hanging around a guy like Uke. Never a day that goes by where I'm not thankful that I <laughs> had all that time with Matt Davison. <laughs> and those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. Yeah, he's had many of those. All right, we appreciate yeah. it. We'll, we'll check in with you again next week. We'll be in the World Series by then. That should be fun. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Greg. It's time to buy or sell. Buy sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's, your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made from scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's, we do catering right. Now here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Tim Curran. Sold. And Austin Orman. That's right. America's favorite game show is back this week. I'm uh, driving the, the chair or whatever the expression is. Uh, I don't want to go over the answers because it wasn't good for, for old Tim. Uh, really? We don't have to get into it, uh, but I, I, I took I took some knocks. I took some uh, licks. Well, we got to uh, get into it. We got to let the people know how we, how we did, Tim. Look, We're the worst, um, Tim. You know, in, in these uncertain times, everyone's you know kind of on edge, including me. And uh, I don't want to I don't want to have to revisit this trauma of what I went through. But I'll do it for the people, for the folks, because we love them. Uh, so with that said, without further ado, we'll jump into our answers. 
Uh, Brett had this one, an NBA one. Buy or sell that either LeBron James or Anthony Davis will be the leading scorer in the NBA Finals. Asked that back in September 16th. Uh, the answer did end up being a buy. LeBron was leading scorer with 29.8 points per game. Uh, Jimmy Butler at second. 26.2. I'm not sure where AD was, but uh, probably wasn't uh, up there really. Uh, everyone got it right with a buy except for Josh. Uh, he doubted Ooh. LBJ. Sold it, Ooh. got it wrong. Wow. Gosh. So he took the field. Yeah. Well, this was asked in September, so this wasn't that long ago. Maybe he didn't think they were going to make make the finals. I don't know. Yeah, apparently not. Apparently not. We'll, uh, we'll have to text him and ask him, figure out where his head was at. Second question. This one comes from September 30th. This was a Ben NFL question. Ben asked us if we had buy or sell that both Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers throw their first interceptions after their team loses a game. Through three games, each had nine touchdowns and no picks. The correct answer was a sell since Mahomes' first interception came during the loss to the Raiders. Greg and Ben, you guys were talking about this last night, seeing if anyone biffed the layup. It was a sell. We were all right, except him. Oh, Timmy. Uh, look, I might have doubted uh, old, old Patrick out of just pure spite. Uh, wasn't the best bet. It didn't pay off. It really does, betting against that guy. So so Josh swims upstream in question one, and you swim upstream in question two. Okay, all right. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, well, this one was from Greg, this next one, a French Open. Uh, Greg, a regular tennis connoisseur, buy or sell that. Rafael Nadal would win his 13th French Open this year. Uh, the answer is a buy. He is now a proud owner of a baker's dozen of French Open titles at Roland Garros. Uh, he beat Djokovic in three sets. Greg, though, didn't buy his own question. Uh, classic mistake. He sold it. So did Brett. So did me. Uh, we three got sellers right. on that? Yeah. Three sellers. So 50-50. Well, I thought, I thought I don't I'm know. Clay. Maybe I thought it was like going to be Dominic Team or Djokovic. But no, we all got it wrong. But Austin, Ben, and Josh got it right with the buy. Man, I get a lot of crap for my questions. I can't believe three of you sold Rafa. That Come means on. it's a great question. Everybody's right down the middle. It's what a great question. It makes uh, you yeah, really think. Yeah. That's that's right. Bet you're feeling real great right now. Yeah, just pat yourself on the back for that one, Great. <laughs> think or overthink. That's the, uh, the classic dividing line. We go back to a Ben NFL question for our next one. Ben, you asked us if we had buy or sell that Levante David would have more tackles than the Bucks' leading receiver would have receptions versus the Bears. The correct answer was a sell. He had five tackles is all, and the leading receivers for the Bucks both had five catches as well. So since it was more tackles noted in the question, the answer was a sell. Everyone bought it. Everyone got this one wrong. How about that? Good question. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yep. Congratulations. Uh, we got one wrong. We all had uh, Levante fever. Uh, it all bit us. That'll, that'll lower that percentage some. Yeah, it sure, <laughs> sure does. Uh, this one is another Brett NBA special. Buy or sell that LeBron James would win the NBA Finals MVP. Uh, this one was an absolute layup. It was a buy. <laughs> uh, however, Austin was the only one that sold oh, it. He thought it was going to be AD for some reason. Layup. AD had a great first oh, few games of the series. There was debate. LeBron averaged like four points that finals. He would have got the MVP. It's just automatic at that point. I mean, come on. It's just Austin. I'm, I'm questioning. You just tried to out-clever yourself. You deserve getting that wrong. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Deserve is a strong word. I, I, I did maybe overthink it a little bit, but I think there was rationale that I, I will continue to stand by. We will stick in the NBA for our next question. This one 
comes from Tim, who asked us, buy or sell that Tyler Hero would record a double-double in any of the remaining games in the NBA Finals. The closest Mr. Hero got was 12 points and three assists, so that was a hard sell. <laughs> yeah, I was a big-time seller of that question. I didn't think he'd get close. Did nope. anybody buy it? Nope, everyone sold. I put it in all caps. So I wanted everyone <laughs> to get you know a point out of this. I didn't want anyone to get too beat up this, this round of answers, so I put a layup in there. And uh, we all got it right. So you're welcome, guys. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Tim. Yeah, don't, don't, don't mention it. Don't mention it. Uh, finishing off with a few more questions. Uh, this one was from Greg, college football buyer. So that Trevor Lawrence would have more total offense than Derek King in that Miami-Clemson game. The answer ended up being a sell. Lawrence had 326. King had 205. We all bought it, save for Josh, who sold it. Another contrarian wow. answer from Josh getting it wrong. Josh did that twice in this batch of questions. Yeah, one one against the grain. Must be trying to make up some ground or something. It's not working out. He's swinging Ooh. big. It's like equivalent of a guy trying to trying to dig in on like a two three count and, and try and go, swing for the fences and he just whiffs. <laughs> yeah, kind of what Josh is doing here. But there, but so so it goes. One guy who didn't swing and miss, Luke Voigt. He had a 453-foot homer, making Ben's MLB question of buy or sell that the longest homer in the Yankees, Rays, or Braves Marlins series is over 433 feet starting on Thursday. Voigt hit one 453 feet. <laughs> that came on Thursday. Four other homers in that time frame, none of them even cleared 410. So the answer is a buy. Greg and Ben, you were both right with a buy. Brett and I also bought it. Josh and Tim sold. Tim, this is trending in the wrong direction. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm all, like I said earlier, with the Atlanta Braves, how they're kind of sandbagging, waiting for that dramatic comeback. I, too, uh, like a phoenix, will rise from the ashes, uh, ready to ready to steal this out from out of you guys. So just when you think you guys are comfortable, uh, here comes Tim. So uh, just, just That was an absolute missile, by the way, <laughs> that, that, that when that happened. My goodness. Absolutely. Uh, and we're finishing up here with the last answer. This one was uh, from Josh, an NFL one. Buy or sell that Russell Wilson would throw for at least 350 yards against the Vikings on Sunday. Uh, the answer ended up being a sell. He was still pretty effective, but only got 217 yards. We all got it right with a sell. Besides, uh, surprise, surprise, Josh himself, who bought it, Josh, got it wrong. He had a rough week. Ever the contrarian, Josh, uh, this week. Well, uh, he's still uh, – I, I had a pretty bad week, but Josh, I think, took the cake – he went four of nine uh, on the week. And so, yeah, that, that puts him at 37 of 70 uh, for the season. Ben's still leading things uh, for the season at 47 of 70. You went eight and nine this week. That ain't bad. Uh, Greg, you went seven of nine. Brett, seven of nine. Austin, seven of nine. I, uh, a gentlemanly five of nine. I've got some ground to make up, though. Over 50%. Well, over 50%. I'm not over 50% for the season. Uh, everyone else is besides me. I'm sitting at a 32 of 70 at 45.7%. Only one way to go, Tim. Only, Only one direction to go Just trending here. up. Uh, I think I forgot to mention, I already said Ben was at 47 of 70. Greg, you're at 46 of 70. Josh at 37 of 70. Brett, 38 of 70. And Austin, 42 of 70. So right now, uh, Ben and Gray kind of leading things in the pack here. That's how we do it. I, veterans. I am slow but steady re- wins the race, right? How many so. how many seasons have we played, Greg? Like 14? This is what, 14, like that. This yeah. is what 14 seasons of buy-sell gets you. And, so yeah. Ben has a one-question answer lead yes. right now. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. very close. It's very Rafa close. Rafa Nadal cost me. Man. 
Uh, well, that leads us to our, our next uh, set of questions. And, gentlemen, I will let you guys take it away. Okay, here we go. First one up, do you buy or sell that all seven scheduled Big Ten football games will be played next week? Hmm. I'm an optimist. I'm buying uh, that. So what order are we answering in here? It's a free-for-all. We're just survival of the fittest. Whoever, whoever Austin, why don't first. you go next? I really don't want to go next, but I guess I will <laughs> follow the eternal optimism train and buy week one all seven games. I'm going to buy it, too. I, if Man, if they don't happen the first week, I... When will they happen? Yeah. You'd like to think we there. You'd like to think we could steer clear of a of a crisis the first week. So man, those protocols are not very much to affect somebody. Everybody's yeah. bought it, right? So far, yeah, yeah. I'll sell it. Oh well, you're saying one gets banged. It better not be yep. ours. Mm, yep. All right, bang. All right, up. all right. Here we go. Talked about this last hour, or at least part of this. Buy or sell the Dodgers come back to win the NLCS or Jose Altuve commits at least one more error the rest of the season. <laughs> you wrote this before the Dodgers put their uh, yes. their 15 spot up. Uh, even that said, I think I'm going to sell it. I think the Braves are maybe not the stronger team, but they, they still have the 2-0 series lead. I think they'll hold on to that. And I also don't think that Jose Altuve is going to commit another error. You know, we, we talked about how he had the yips. I, I think he's going to lock it down. Not that I want him to, unless he's already committed an error. I haven't, I haven't been watching closely enough. But I know uh, he's homered tonight. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm selling this big time. I'm flipping it. I'm going to buy because I think the Atlanta pitching staff is two guys, and it could be yep. you know a seven-game series. So those two guys, Ian Anderson and Max Fried, very, very solid starters. The issue is when you have to start Kyle Wright at all tonight and that you're seeing what's happening. So I don't think the Braves have enough pitching. Those two guys, um, Fried and Anderson, have pitched six of the first seven games for Atlanta. So I think that was uh, people jumping the gun on the Atlanta pitching staff a little bit. So I'll buy a Dodgers comeback. Yeah, I'm going to buy it as well. I think the Dodgers probably end up winning this uh, series. All right. Okay, um, back to me. I, I got to answer oh, here, boys. Okay, all right. Tim's jumping the gun again. <laughs> um, I'm with. I'm. I'm. I think that logic's airtight, Austin. I. I've always been concerned about the depth for Atlanta on the mound, um, especially if Kershaw comes back and pitches tomorrow. Right. But I'm going to change it up. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to say no error for Altuve. He has not committed one yet tonight, by the way. So I'm hoping the, the Rays just take care of business and Atlanta can find a way to win two before the Dodgers can win three. Okay. Right. There we go. Back to me, and this is baseball as well. Do you buy or sell that the Braves will win the World Series? I'll go first. I will sell it. I think the winner will be the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm selling it, too. I'm taking the Rays, the team of destiny in this one. I'm, I'm go- selling it. Yeah, I'm going to sell as well just because I think the Dodgers win this series, so logically. But who wins the World Series then, Austin? Can't sit on the fence there. I'm not forced to tip my hand. I'll right. Yeah, that may be a future so question. I'm yeah, true. I'm going to refrain from calling my shot this time. Save the bullet. All right, so back to me then. Back to you, Ben. 
All right, with four touchdowns last week from Pittsburgh's Chase Claypool, buy or sell that a rookie in the NFL scores at least three touchdowns in one more game this season. And passing touchdowns do not count. So if Herbert were to throw to four touchdowns, that does not count. So it's got to be run, uh, rushing or receiving yes, touchdowns. Yes, actually scoring the touchdowns. How about interception return touchdowns? Are those on the board? Sure. If somebody do, does that three times, that absolutely counts. Okay. Hmm. It's an interesting line. I'm going to sell it. I'm selling it. I don't, I don't like it. I think that's a lot. It's a good line, but that's still a lot. I don't like it. I'm selling it. There's a lot of good young receivers, rookie receivers in the league, but three times to get in there is not easy to do in one game. Running-wise, could Edwards Hilaire have a game where he scores three times? Perhaps. J.K. Dobbins, maybe. But I'm with Tim. I'm going to sell it. Yeah, Edward Tillet was the first guy that came to mind to me, and then Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb, probably in that order, I'd place probability, but I don't think so. I think I'm going to have to lean sell as well. Austin, no JT? Uh, given the state of the Colts offense, uh, no. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would appreciate it if they would score three touchdowns in a game once, but that uh, doesn't seem like it's going to happen unless the defense gets to play the Jets again. <laughs> I think the most likely candidates for this are Jonathan Taylor and C.D. Lamb. I think both of those guys are, are, are candidates to do so. Um, Man. I'm trying to think of, of a scenario in which this happens. Set too good a line. Yeah. I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to say it's – I'll go CD. I'll say CD Lamb. Okay. Love the called shot. Even even, uh, Andy Dalton going to be just chucking it up to – Why not? All right. I mean, the Cowboys still aren't going to be stopping anybody defensively, (laughs) so they're going to have to throw it 45 (laughs) times a game. This is true. The Cowboys are in rough shape. Uh, Well – that, that brings it to, to my questions I carefully concocted. And I'm already embarrassed by my question because uh, it was made before some of the news today, but uh, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Uh, buy or sell that at least one of the SEC matchups this week, uh, there'll be a game with over 1,000 yards of total offense combined. Of course, uh, no, no more Florida LSU, but I'm buying it. I'm all in. The SEC has been remade. It's now basically the Big 12 uh, air raid all over. Uh, I don't know. It might be Ole Miss uh, and, and their game. They might hit that thousand mark. I'm not sure. Might might be two games. Who knows? But I'm buying it. I'm Currently pulling, pulling up. up the schedule. Yeah, me too. Our op- here's the, I'll run through the matchup since I got it. Auburn at South Carolina, Kentucky at Tennessee, Ole Miss at Arkansas, A&M at Mississippi State, Georgia at Alabama, and that's it with two postponements. So I will buy it, and I believe it's going to be A&M Mississippi State. Now, when you said that, that that but Mississippi State has been dreadful They're the awful. last two weeks offensively. I'm selling this. I think it's way too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm selling it big time too. And I don't know that the Ole Miss game is going to happen now that they. Yeah, that's what I'm positives. saying. Even if it even if it happens, Ole Miss is shorthanded. So, all right. Well, you guys are just haters. Yep, haters so, it is what it is. <laughs> All right, first question from me for you guys. Buy or sell that at least two of the first seven picks in the NBA draft are traded on or before draft night. 
I'm going to buy this. I think Golden State trades down, and I think there's someone else that makes a move, potentially even Minnesota out of that number one spot. Hmm. Okay, repeat the question. <laughs> buy or sell that at least two of the first seven picks in this year's NBA draft are traded on or before okay. draft night. It's too many words. I'm selling it. And I have no logic. I just I'm just selling it. I don't so want we to need read. two trades of the first seven picks, right? Correct. First, my brain and, and to it, think and this it, Somebody can draft them and then before the night's over, make the trade them out, right? Yes. That would count. Correct. The pick itself or the player um, the pick turns into. I, that's a good line. That's right on the. So two would be a buy. Correct. Two or more. Yeah, let's get crazy. I'll buy. Love it. Okay. I don't know that I want to get that crazy. I'm going to sell it. <laughs> yep. You and me both. I just didn't really want to read the question through, so I just said sell. So. <laughs> uh, well, that brings me back to my, my carefully concocted question. You guys are going to have to use all your brain juices for this one. Uh, buy or sell that Le'Veon Bell signed with another team and scores at least three rushing touchdowns this season. Not in a single game, but in a season. Well, he's going to sign. I think he's going to sign the next day. So that part of it's covered. Three touchdowns? Three rushing touchdowns, yep. But yeah, through it. So it doesn't. It won't count if it's like a passing touchdown, either him rushing. passing it or catching it, but rushing. Yeah, I'm gonna buy that. Hey, hey. I personally am selling it. I'm, I'm a big Le'Veon doubter. I think he's basically useless at this point, but so it goes. I saw a crazy stat on him. In like the 2018 season, he had like eight seven or eight 40 plus yard runs he's had one run over 30 yards since huh. that ain't great apparently apparently the chiefs are interested in him chiefs in uh miami i heard yep. yeah i don't know why miami is interested they've got 14 running backs i take one right now um I hate to admit this, Tim. That's a good, it's a good question. Well, thank you, Ben. It means a lot. The problem is I don't know who's going to want to gobble up the $8.5 million contract. Chiefs don't have any cap space, right? Brett Feech Not is much. He can find room. I'm going to sell it. it. I don't think it happens. How wild would it be if he ended back up in Pittsburgh? Wouldn't that be crazy? (laughs) Mike Tomlin would just be. I think he's burned a few too many bridges for that to happen, but I could be (laughs) wrong. I'll also sell this one. I assume he signs at some point. Is he active enough? Uh, Does he have the skills to score, the opportunities to score three rushing touchdowns? I don't think so. I'm out on that. He's a short yardage guy. He is. That he is. That's because he can't rush for more than three yards on a carry. (laughs) All right. I'm out. Selling. Sounds good. So, we've got one buy and a few sells. My next question is from Major League Baseball. Do you guys buy or sell that Tony La Russa becomes the next manager of the Chicago White Sox? I'm I'm selling this harder than anything has ever been sold. Leave Tony alone. He's not your Chicago. Go away. 
I'm going to buy it. I think Tony Comes <laughs> Back has one more little run in him. It's probably not more than four or five years, but I think Tony Tony pops back out of retirement. He's like here. 76 or 77. He hasn't coached since like 2011. It's is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Tim just really doesn't want this to happen. I don't want it to happen, doesn't no. doesn't want Tony to go to the superior city of Chicago. I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to, shed very real tears if this happens. But it's not going to happen, so it's fine. He's 76 years old. This is nuts. This is like when people said T.O. was going to come back and coach Nebraska after uh, Bill Callahan. Like, it's not happening. He's a baseball guy. Baseball I'm going to sell it, too. Yep, thank you. Voice of reason. Uh, what am I going to do? Um, I know they're interested in him. I know it. I know they are. Um... Tony or the field here. Man, why don't they go get A.J. Hinch? Do they really pull the trigger on the 70? I know they want him. I know they do. See, I'm more concerned about him pulling the trigger on the White Sox. He's Clearly, been out of the game. I, I agree. He I agree. He's been, yeah, I don't know why he would want it. And he's been I out of the agree. game for so long, too. I think it's between those two, Hinch and LaRue. I'm going to say it's Hinch. I'm going to sell it. But I think they, I think they do want him. Sure seems like it. Well, there you go. Well, uh, that'll bring us uh, to Josh's question, who is uh, our absentee uh, uh, this week. But anyway, he did submit a question, so we have the obligation to ask it. Another Major League Baseball one. Buy or sell that Randy Arozarena has another three-hit game this playoffs. He's got four thus far. Uh, I am uh, selling it. I think it's uh, hit a lot of multi-game, multi-hit games, but uh, that's a lot to ask How many more? How many more? Just uh, one other three-hit game. One more three-hit game. At least one, not exactly one. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, got it, got it. Hmm. I, I'm going to sell that, too. God, he's really hitting it well. The, 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 the Sabre metrics on him say he's not a good breaking ball hitter, but I think in his, his last game or the one before that, uh, one of his three hit games, almost all of them came on breaking balls, so that's that could be a positive. One more three hit game. Can he do it? Can he do it? Um, I think a lot of this, boys, goes to who do you think's going to win the NLCS? Because yeah. right. if it's the Dodgers, your your chances go down. The other thing is, does he sneak it in tonight? He's 0 for 1 tonight against Zach Grinke. Yeah, they have no hits tonight through three. I'll buy it. I, he, I'll say he does. I'll say he gets there. Normally, I'm take the take the points guy route for offense, but I don't think he quite. Ben's a risk three. taker. I am finding that out. I'm all, all right. in on Randy. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun name to say, a Rosarena. Did we get a Brett question? Oh, we yeah, haven't. That's be coming the, up. The kicker here, the the night nightcap. So it's also from Major League Baseball. Do you guys buy or sell that the Astros either lose Game Four by two or more runs, or win it by at least four? Which is tonight's oh, game, right? Correct. Lose yeah. it by two or more, or win it by four or more? Yeah. Yes. And already mm-hmm. up one nothing. But I'm selling that. I don't think that's either going to happen. It's not happening. They could win two to nothing. They could, but it's not happening. So I've declared.
So they got to win by two or lose by four? Win by four, lose win by, by two. Win by four, lose by two. And this is the Astros? Yep. Correct. Have Astros win lose by, by two or, or lose. more. Astros win by four or more. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling. It's, I'm, give me the window. Yeah. It's a real yeah, I'm brain bender. It. I'll sell it again. It just seems too confusing. <laughs> I don't think you are. Yourself. But that was by sell. Nice. Well done. Okay. Hopefully Tim has better luck. Hopefully Josh has better luck. He had a tough, tough week last week.